You're listening to the Video Marketing Podcast, helping you go a little more viral every day. Here's your host, Matt Johnston. All right, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm so excited to talk about YouTube ads today and uh, how, if, why, when, what, where, whatever, they could work for you to sell your physical products online in your e-commerce store. I have a friend of mine who uh, we've, we've known each other for over a year now talking about YouTube ads. He's an expert um, and I'm so excited to talk to him about it because he's had crazy results in the e-commerce YouTube space. And I really want to dig into if this can work for your business and what kind of videos it's going to take and how to actually find these people on YouTube. Shash Singh, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on here. And um, yeah, I'm super happy to be here and help out in any way I can. Did I, did I pronounce your name correctly? I didn't go over it before the show and now I'm regretting it. Is it correct? Just, Shash is fine. It's, uh, it's a tough one to pronounce. So I'm, at this point, like I have like a, like basically like a filter or somebody mispronounces it, I don't even notice it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, cool. The last time I dated somebody, they were saying my name wrong for like two months, but and then like I didn't even realize it. So it's totally cool. You didn't even realize it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Shash has great stuff. He has a lot of great educational content on this. I highly recommend uh, checking out his YouTube channel, uh, Links Digital. But we, we can get to more of that at the end. So let's go into um, the first topic here. I just want to dive right into the value. Actually, who is a good fit for YouTube when it comes to e-commerce? Because the, the intent of people on YouTube and the intent of the buyer persona is different than you may see on Facebook and Instagram. So it's not always going to be a fit. What are your rules of the road there? Yes. Yeah, so what we've noticed is that number one, YouTube ads do work for e-commerce. However, uh, there's certain things that you need to keep in mind. The first is that Facebook is a really a platform where people are bored, they're browsing around, they see something cool, they click on it. So it's kind of a different print find. Well, on YouTube, they're usually watching a video, they're watching their favorite lead blogger, sometimes they're listening to music, but they have more intent in what they're doing. So to be able to basically grab their attention and get them to play, you need to do a bit more. Now the ad format helps because it gets in right in front of your face while on Facebook you can kind of scroll past it while on YouTube you have to at least watch five seconds and then hit the skip button. So because of the difference in intent, what we found on YouTube is products that solve clear pain points or solve a real problem are the products that do really well. Um, so, and then the second part of it is that with YouTube ads, you also want a product that's a little bit hard priced. So you don't want something that's super cheap or super low priced. You want something that where you can afford a $40 cost per acquisition at the lower side, right? And you need to make sure that obviously that your funnel is done well. So you wanna make sure you have at least a $40 cost per acquisition uh, limit. So that means your product will likely be somewhere in the 60 to 80, maybe even $100 range. And then the second thing you wanna do is you wanna make sure your conversion rates are good enough so that you can basically uh, be able to get like a 3% conversion rate. Now, obviously if your product is higher priced with like $200, it's okay to have a low conversion rate. But to just give you an idea, if you're trying to go for a $40 CPA, um, you want to be aiming for a 3% conversion rate. So it's not as movie friendly as Facebook or on Facebook, you can really get away with lower priced products. You can get away with lower uh, conversion rates as well because Facebook can be pretty good at finding really niche buyers. While on YouTube, it's really more of a scaling Play, right? YouTube is where you go if you want to start scaling your 
ad campaigns you want to be spending ten thousand dollars a day or really high amount and we've seen that about youtube is once you get something that's working really well and the metrics are working you can usually scale a lot more on youtube versus facebook where on facebook you often run into issues much earlier while scaling so those are a few key metrics right so basically youtube is really good for mid to high ticket e-commerce uh, products that solve specific problems the other thing about youtube is you want to really focus in on brands that have at least one or two main products versus a brand that sells like 50 different products and they all sell equally because the thing is you're gonna have to make video creative for each style of product or for each product itself and in most cases it you literally won't be able to afford 50 videos for 50 products it's going to be a lot tougher it's better if you have one or two or three uh, main products that you know that hey these products sell the best I can create a video campaign or video ad strategy around these and then you know obviously you can upsell cross-sell other products as well uh, this is where on YouTube you've seen brands that focus in on very few products but really high quality products that can be slow with video ads do really really well so some of the really good uh, YouTube ad case studies out there for example our client indestructible shoes it was very simple they sell indestructible shoes yeah there are different styles but ultimately it's kind of the same product that can be put into the same ad, right? It's not like you're selling a shoe and then you're selling heels and then you're selling skirts, right? Like you're basically selling one product which are indestructible shoes that, you know, can survive anything, right? So that's important to keep in mind. Um, now you can have a few different products, but you don't want to really diffuse your efforts between a bunch of products when you're trying to figure out. You, you really want to focus in on one or two. And that basically allows you to really dial in on the creative side. Mm, okay. Interesting. And would you say that that's true um, at every stage of the funnel or is that mostly for prospecting? You're talking about like that $40 cost per acquisition, meaning it costs you $40 in advertising money to acquire that customer. So you're saying that's like your sort of basement there. And so is that same in prospecting and retargeting? Well, I think you could definitely get lower prices on retargeting. And I'm not saying it's a hard and set rule. Like we've definitely gone down to like 25 to $30 CPAs. That being said, as an agency, when we take on clients, we want them to have $40 cost per acquisition, right? I do think $30 and above is doable if you've got a really high conversion rate or if you're making your money in the back. Um, but $40 is just a rule for us to make sure, you know, we have a very high probability of success. So that kind of gives you a little bit more context. But yeah, in terms of retargeting, you definitely can probably get a lower CPA on retargeting. Usually retargeting CPAs in, for most brands are uh, cheaper, but unlike Facebook, retargeting on YouTube is a little trickier. Um, sometimes it doesn't get the best return as compared to Facebook. But that being said, it's still, you know, it's still worth spending some level of your budget on YouTube for retargeting just because you're hitting those people who are warm traffic, who are ready to buy and you can pick up some easy sales. And there's potentially a brand awareness there as well, right? Because you may go to Facebook, mm -hmm. see something, get retargeted on YouTube, go back to Facebook, buy and retargeting. So if you have a multi-platform advertising strategy, there could also be success there. Exactly. But the way we look at YouTube is really like a prospecting platform. And, you know, obviously there's retargeting, mm -hmm. but YouTube really does a great job of finding new customers for you. Okay, great. So that's the next space to go into as far as what type of business works, because um, the way that you scale YouTube ads often is through keyword campaigns, right? And so that's directly related to what people are searching for. Although I, I might be wrong. 
And so does that dictate what businesses will work better than others in e-commerce? So you have a bunch of targeting options. There's in-market ROI. So what people are actually thinking about buying, according to Google, there's affinity, custom affinity, custom intent. So there's all kinds of levels of varying intent. So with custom affinity, you can take in a website of one of your competitors and Google will basically target people that it thinks are kind of similar to that audience. So it's basically, you know, if you have an e-com brand and you choose your biggest competitor's website, some Google will go out and find people who are similar to that. We've actually had really great success with that. I think there was one really key uh, info guru influencer. This was for our info product clients, but I think there was one info influencer where we literally created a custom affinity audience off of him. And I think we were spending like at some point like ten to fifteen thousand dollars a day over various accounts because that audience worked in like every account. <laughs> it was so wow. great. But yeah, even for our e-commerce clients, right? What we do is we'll go make affinity audiences based on basically the client's profile. So for example, we have a client in uh, the bra space, and basically we made a custom affinity audience based on big bra companies in that space, and those campaigns really performed really well. Um, so and so are these you, are these the campaigns where you put in the URLs of competitors, for example, exactly. and then Google knows who's visiting those other sites and so can create audiences off of them? Yeah, I mean, it's not the exact same people. It's not like you're targeting the exact people visiting it. It's more like the people Google thinks are visiting that website. So it's uh -huh. kind of a, it's kind of like a version of a lookalike audience, but it's it's a little bit more. Um, it's not as exact, right? So sometimes they can fail, sometimes they can work, but they can they can be quite useful because you can essentially make an endless variation of them. That's what I love about Google is one of our targeting strategies right now is we've literally launched 10 new campaigns a day, every single day, and just cut eight or nine of them and keep the one or two that work. Um, so we're able to just test so many audiences that on Facebook, you can't really do that. On Facebook, you can you definitely have a lot of audiences, but on Google, it's just, such an infinite variety because you can literally make a custom affinity audience or a custom intent audience, which is based on what they're searching in Google. So if somebody searches, let's say, um, you know, work shoes, we can then target those people on YouTube with an ad for indestructible shoes or with an ad for whatever, you know, kind of shoe we want to sell. So custom intent is really powerful too, because you're at, Google is actually targeting the same people that are searching for that search term. So custom intent can be more uh, accurate than custom affinity. Are there types of e-commerce businesses that you don't feel like YouTube ads will work great for in prospecting? So I, I'm still trying to get data on this. I definitely felt that furniture slash um, anything that's kind of like, does, it doesn't solve a real clear pain point. I feel like it would be a little bit tougher to make work, but I feel like pain point based products will do really well. So for example, if you have a piece of clothing that solves a certain problem, that will work. So I've seen, you know, brands that have come out recently that do like uh, wrinkle-free t-shirts, right? I've seen brands that they basically are created to solve a unique problem. A great ad I saw recently was uh, for sunglasses by William Painter. And these guys basically created a brand to solve a big problem in the sunglasses industry, which is that sunglasses are overpriced. They're very expensive and they're basically just like monoplies. And instead they're like, hey, we have sunglasses that are relatively affordable and are much stronger, much more durable, come buy them. So essentially if you're solving a problem that when somebody's watching a video on YouTube and they go see that and if they're in your target audience, they're like, okay, this actually solved the problem I have in my life. On the other hand, I do feel like things that are a bit more um, 
browser-based and browser behavior-based where let's say you're scrolling down on Facebook or Pinterest, you're just bored, you're looking for something that looks cool. Uh, that I feel like is a little tougher to sell on YouTube just because of the fact that in many cases, people have some level of intent. So you have to make them do- Like fashion, you know, for example, could be hard? Fashion that's based on pain points, I think is easy. So we're actually doing fashion now. We're, so we're doing kind of like women's you know, underwear and that's working really well, but it solves a pain point. It right? solves a particular pain point. Uh -huh. Yeah, which is that women's fashion is typically quite uh, uncomfortable, right? So it's like, okay, we have this product that's just, you know, solve those comfort issues while also making you look great. So, and to be right. honest, a lot of these things can be sold like that, right? It's not to say that these things don't solve a pain point, but it's usually, you know, you have to figure out how to communicate it in that way. So if you're selling some sort of furniture, then you have to figure out what pain point it solves and communicate it in that way. You can't just show pretty pictures and expect people to buy it or show a pretty video. It has to be like, oh, hey, are you um, basically, hey, are you looking for a new office chair that doesn't make you feel like an old man after sitting on it for seven or eight hours? right? Or mm. something of that nature where somebody watching it, you know, in their office would be like, hey, I actually need an office chair right now. This is a good mm. idea. That's, that's really interesting. I, I think that that's a really good lesson for all marketing, honestly, is to really distinguish that browser-based product and shopping from the uh, from the pain point solvers. But honestly, a lot of it with marketing is trying to figure out how to tease out what that pain point could potentially be, right? And then that's where the business opportunity is. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the creative then, because I think this is a really good segue into this because we're talking about how it works best for these specific pain points. Let's just put ourselves in the shoes of somebody on YouTube. We go to a video, we have to watch five seconds of it before we get the skip ad button. Um, and we get that button for, I don't know, a certain period of time and you're charged for a view on YouTube after 30 seconds, right? So you're, all, all your advertising is free on YouTube until some, unless somebody clicks it or watches 30 seconds, right? That's the case still. Um, for certain bidding types, I believe. Uh, so for target CPA and maximize conversions, which are two types of bidding types, it's based on impressions, but you're basically optimizing for conversions with those. So they kind of work like Facebook's conversion optimization. Right. Um, yeah, but I mean, ultimately like what matters is kind of your cost per click um, and your click rate. Those two metrics are what really, really matter. So when you're making your creative that obviously the very beginning of the ad is the most important, right? I mean, because this is when you have your opportunity, right? So how do you structure this video content? Yeah, so basically the formula we use is you gotta have a really strong hook, right? You gotta catch their attention. So what we do with a lot of e-commerce ads is we'll have live action ads where we have like a kind of live actors and they will literally open with a hook that says, hey, are you tired of X pain point that causes you, you know, X pain, right? Or are you tired of X that causes pain point? Or hey, are you trying to solve this? Or are you it's basically focused on that. So to give you an example, right? If let's say um, you're selling an office chair, right? You're like, hey, are you sitting in your office right now? And you know that you're gonna feel like crap after you get up because your office chair is just not made to be sat on for eight hours a day. And you see, you know, the visual part of that would be, let's say a character or somebody in the screen actually being in that office chair being like, uh, like, you know, in, with a face of pain, but then verbally you're saying that. And then, you know, that kind of adds, that starts it off in the right way where you grab the attention of somebody who would has that pain point. If they don't have that pain point, they're most likely gonna 
skip that. And then after that, you basically what you're going to do is you're going to do a few different things. You're gonna basically explain what it is that you're you know showing them. You're gonna explain or uh, you're gonna show them credibility. You're gonna show them why they should trust you. So it could be something like, hey, we've sold over hundred thousand shares and we've had you know thirty thousand reviews. But basically, the first part of the video is explaining okay the pain point and then how you guys resolved it, right? So going in deep into the pain point. Uh, how you resolve it, perhaps showing what the competition does wrong. So think of it like an explainer video, but in live action. And then you may want to add a little bit of humor in because humor always keeps people entertained, especially for e-commerce. Humor has been really, really effective. And then basically, as you get more into the video, you've established that, hey, this is the pain point. Um, this is how we're solving it. This is our product. This is what it has. Then you'll add in the social proof, which is showing people that, hey, these are, uh, let's say, the 20,000 reviews we've gotten, and they average 4.9 stars. And hey, we've been featured in, you know, these big media outlets, and so on. And we've, you know, raised X amount of Kickstarter, whatever it may be that shows that hey, this is legitimate. And then you'll obviously want to have call to action, so you'll have a call to action that says, hey, uh, if you want to click the link below and order this, you know, there'll be a link below, and you can go click on. It. So you verbally tell them. You want to tell them your website URL as well. Uh, and basically your goal is to maybe have like two call to actions in there. So you tell them that multiple times. And yeah, that's like a very simplified way of explaining it, but you want to have these different things in there. Now, I can actually link to my channel where I will send you a link where I have some video ad breakdowns of really good e-commerce ads. So there's like some really great examples there if you want to see like a live breakdown. So I'll make sure to you know, get that link over to you. Great. Great. So what I'm hearing is we need to have a very strong hook at the beginning. And we, then we need to go into basically empathy, right? Like we need to have this like identification moment where it's like, I see your pain point. I feel your pain point. Is that kind of the next stage after the hook? Exactly. Okay, great. And then we're sort of moving into uh, credibility or do we need to really start launching into like first before the credibility, we're launching into more explainerville. You want to, I would definitely do a bit more of explaining, um, showing them how this product works, right? Like showing them the visual side of it and explaining to them. So you want to be visually demonstrating it while also verbally explaining it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what's interesting is it's not too dissimilar from what we would see with, for example, the, uh, the Ada, Aida, however you want to pronounce it, format of copywriting, right? Attention, interest, desire, action. But basically the idea is you capture their attention with a very strong hook. Um, you pull them in and make them feel, you know, make, make them feel like you understand their pain in this moment emotionally. And then you basically show how you're, you know, so you create that hole and you, you make people say, yeah, I do have that hole in my life that needs to be filled. And then you show them how your product fills that hole and you add credibility to that saying, I'm not just anybody that can fill that hole. I got, I got hundreds of reviews. And then you actually make them take the actual action, right? And so by sort of mapping that out somewhat correctly. Very, very accurate. Okay, cool. So next big question. Do I need, I mean, like, what are we talking about here? Like, do, do I need to put on huge skits with actors and all of these things? Do, do I need all of this to be effective? What's the minimum viable YouTube ad that I can still get results with and still follow this format? Yeah, so you can basically, what you can do is you can take footage and add a voiceover to it. So you can basically edit in various footage that you may have lying around or even find it 
um, and basically hire somebody to do a voiceover, which might be like 100 bucks, 50 bucks. And then you've got a decent option right there, right? That's already better. We found voiceover ads typically outperform ads with no voiceovers. And as long as you follow that format and you show the footage in the right time, you know, you have that those elements, it should do decent. However, that being said, based on my experience, while you may be able to get an ad that works well, that's not live action. For e-commerce, you want to do live action as soon as possible. So if you test the concept, it's working, you know, you see some proof there. You either want to, you know, perhaps in some cases you might be able to do animation ads, but in e-commerce, that might be a bit difficult because you're actually showcasing the product. But you want to get into live action as soon as possible, which is again why YouTube isn't really like a complete newbie's platform, right? It's really like you do need to invest a little bit of money. I would definitely say it's not something where, you know, if you're a completely new dropshipper, it's, it's a little tricky. Like you can get some ads to work if you've got a really high, high ticket product and your met metrics work, so the ad can be a little weaker. But in most cases, I definitely will say that live action is correlated with higher click through rates and uh, higher results just because it's it's physical product, right? Like you're Think of it this way, right? Like if you go by a restaurant, the restaurant looks really nice on the outside, you're more likely to go inside. While if the restaurant looks like some, you know, like mall, like kind of strip mall place that it looks decaying and old, you really don't want to go in. And when you are demonstrating a product, video is kind of like that storefront, right? If you have the right angles, if you show the product really well, and if you also follow the right uh, persuasion tactics and persuasion formulas, then you're going to do a much better job than if you, you know, even if you follow the right persuasion formulas, but the video is just really not there and it's not really attractive because people are going to assume that the quality of video reflects the quality of the product. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and of course, it can also be part of a multi-tiered strategy where you're running other forms of advertising as well. And there's sort of that omnipresence play, right? I mean, if you're... Mm. There's the brand awareness aspect of it, which is kind of, it's, 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 it's often ignored in advertising in general because we're all out there hunting conversions. There is something to be said for having that brand awareness. If you were to see a product somewhere and then go onto YouTube and see it there, there's something that happens there, right? Uh, have, have you seen any sort of case studies or anything like that where basically YouTube has helped grease the funnel for the whole business? Well, absolutely. I've seen YouTube lead to massive growth all over the business because you get more search traffic, you get people talking about you, you get, uh, you're basically more organic Google search. You'll have basically even media features thanks to the YouTube ads. So if you have a really great e-commerce product and you get the right ad, then you, there's absolutely a high chance that you can go viral to the point where, you know, people will know about your product. And even if they don't buy now, it kind of plants to see that they're having to pay this a trustworthy product. Right. So, uh, how many different creatives are you? I mean, you know, video is a thing, you know, it's a thing sometimes, <laughs> you know, I mean, so how many different versions of these videos do we need to produce and test at the same time? How do we get started with that? What does that look like? Okay. So basically I would recommend you start out with a few variations. The way you do it is you can from one shoot get a bunch of variations because you'll have a hook. You'll have like maybe uh, one body, but you'll have like three or four different hooks you can shoot and then you can edit them in. And you can basically shoot it in a way where you can get like three or four variations from one shoot and then test the different hooks. 
And yeah, the, those three to four videos. And then you can obviously add in some voiceover style edit videos. You can add in some other variations of video formats. So you can test other ideas as well to see how they do. So typically we like to start with at least five video variations. And would you largely take let's say just like this one core video that you had sort of scripted out and do basically two different versions of that where you're just switching out the hook, for example? Yeah, I would do like three or four different hooks. That's like the easiest way to add new variations. And then you'll see a wildly varying performance because some hooks are going to interest people and hook them in a lot more than other hooks. Any other little uh, little tips, tricks of the trade with creative things that boost click-through rate? Like for example, are we doing countdowns, animated arrows pointing to the skip ad buttons? Are, are, are we telling people to skip the ad if they're not interested, which I know is something I've done before on YouTube ads? Are we, uh, like, what are your thoughts on any of that? Bright colors, yeah. like uh, any sort of little hacks? So we've done that. We do that quite a bit where we'll test, hey, skip this ad if you're not interested in X, Y, Z. Sometimes, you know, that is one of the hook variations we try out. And then we've also, uh, we quite frequently do countdowns or basically just have a, at the end of the video, have like a, hey, click this link and basically like an extra 10 seconds for them to click. And then maybe have a countdown in there or maybe have a website URL. The goal is, you know, if they get to the end of the video that it just doesn't skip, but they have a chance to actually go and click on the URL. And then, yeah, we also do like the arrows pointing towards the buttons to actually like, so yeah, we do all of those. Uh, sometimes we have captions as well that, you know, for example, if there's a person in the video, we might have a little caption saying who they are, uh, if it's a relevant character or something of that sort where, you know, it helps the audience kind of see that, oh, this person's like kind of playing this role. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Okay, so we're following this structure in our creatives. We're, we're, we're having that core video. We're trying three different hooks or so. Um, we could easily write a voiceover script and use existing footage to just get our foot in the door. And so who are we showing this to? There are so many different ways to target on YouTube. And uh, I feel like it can be difficult sometimes to decide which way to go. So yeah. there, there are a few and, and, you, and you can tell me what the most viable are, right? So we have keywords, which we know are very scalable, meaning, you know, as, as long as there's tons of people searching for these keywords on YouTube, you can continue to find, and this is why it's interesting in comparison to Facebook, you have new people coming in all the time. Audiences are much less likely to get tired because they're new, they're new searchers, right? And then you have, uh, you have affinity targeting, custom affinity targeting, you have in-market audiences, you have other types of audiences, retargeting audiences, placements. Where do we start? So what I what we do at our agency is we'll test different types of audiences from the get-go because we want to see what type of audience is working for that account because different accounts can work differently, right? So we'll usually start up with maybe a keyword or two, sorry, a couple of keyword campaigns. We'll start up with maybe a custom intent campaign, custom affinity, in-market ROI. So we're usually testing all of those from the get-go. We don't really do much placements unless it's really at a lower scale, just because placements are hard to scale. They're not really the most scalable type. And topics, affinity audiences, they're a little bit broader. Uh, and so they're good to test once the account is cranking. Once you're getting conversions for a low cost per purchase, then those are great to scale out to. But initially, we find the sweet spot to be between keywords, uh, in-market ROI, custom intent, custom affinity. I think those four kind now of- Now, what's this in-market ROI you keep mentioning? Is this a new type of audience in addition to the in-market audiences, or is it different? 
I mean, in market, just in market. It's just in market. Okay, I'm just like sure. I, I think at a certain point it was called in market ROI. Oh, okay. Platform. Okay, but in market. Okay, so let's. You know, yeah. So let's say I'm going out and trying to test. It's interesting you're saying this because a, a, a lot of folks will say to start with placements first to get the low hanging fruit. Placements being uh, putting your ad in front of very specific YouTube videos that you choose. But I've found the same myself in testing over the years with YouTube ads. I mean, it's just, it hits a ceiling. It just won't spend any more money. And it's very hard to, it's just kind of over for placements. So if I'm out there trying a couple of searches, um, as we know, just like on Facebook, if you have multiple things inside of a campaign, inside of an ad set, whatever it may be, the budget's going to move at will, you know, at, at Google's will. So how many keywords do you start with? I mean, do you just use one in a campaign so you can get the data on that one keyword? Uh, how do you deal with that? Three to five. And then we basically, if something doesn't run, we'll test it in a different campaign on its own. But three to five usually gives it a good shot to you know, one or two keywords to build momentum. And then the ones that perhaps don't have any spend, you can test them again in a separate campaign. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you start with three to five and you, you don't break them out into different ad sets, right? You keep them at the campaign level. Yeah. Yeah. We usually keep them in the same campaigns, uh, same ad group, and then mm -hmm. maybe three to five keywords. And then in the ad level, we'll have three to five ads per campaign or three to four. How much yeah, money do you feel like you need to have on a daily budget on a campaign to be able to like get testing data in a reasonable amount of time? Like we start campaigns sometimes at $25 to $50 a day, sometimes a hundred a day. The thing is even at 25 a day, you're essentially what you're looking for is basically you're not expecting everything to be evenly distributed. It's more a fact of like, oh, this hit, let's say a certain number of um, spend without a conversion. So you pause that and then the budget goes to others. So it's not like a formula where it's all being tested evenly at the same time, because that would require a lot of budget. You're kind of throwing things at the algorithm to see what catches and doesn't, and you pause everything else. That has. So usually, you know, we, we optimize on the ad level, right? So we basically see that, hey, campaigns are spending, but on the ad level, this ad has spent too much, we pause that, then the budget kind of redistributes, goes to the other ads. And you basically, overall, on an account level, you start seeing trends. You start seeing that, oh, hey, this ad variation is doing really well overall, right? And then you are like, okay, so now we, we know this, and this ad variation here is doing really bad overall. When we launch new campaigns, we don't use this ad because we know it's probably going to fail. What we do instead is we reshoot a variation of the ad that's actually performing best. But then in individual campaigns, you'll sometimes have ads that don't spend at all in one campaign or spend very little. And so it can be a little uneven at times. But at the same time, if you go in one campaign, one ad group, one ad, that just makes it a lot tougher to basically figure out what's working, not working. And it becomes too many campaigns, right? If you're testing extensively, that becomes very many campaigns. However, if you're just starting out with spending, you only have a few ad variations, you don't have that many audiences, then you can do that uh, where you have one ad, one ad group, one campaign, one targeting option to be like more precise. And But once you're scaling, it makes no sense because it's just like way too many campaigns. And it's just way easier to have three or four ads in there. And then the algorithm kind of figures it out. Okay. So when I'm testing it first, so I've got the, I've got a campaign. I have a, let's say I have one ad group has three to five keywords in it. And inside that I'm testing three different versions of the video or something. What are my benchmarks? Like what are my analytical benchmarks that I'm looking at in the data to see what's performing well and what's not? And how many impressions or whatever views or whatever you would go by, do you need to start making calls on that? Yeah, so the metrics you're looking at is click-through rate, 
Um, you're also looking at your cost per ad to cart and cost per purchase for e-commerce. Cost per purchase, obviously, is the most important one. So here's the thing. Usually what we do is we will figure out what our cost per purchase is. And if an ad, let's say, spends, you know, maybe like that amount without purchase, then you pause it, right? So on the ad level, you're pausing things that don't get a purchase within your whatever goal you want to do it. And obviously- Even if it's like 50 up, bucks, like if you have an ad that's spent 50 bucks and $50 is your desired CPA, you probably don't feel like that's a good, is that a, that's like, probably not going to work? It depends on how aggressive you want to be. And uh, also depends on where your account is at, right? Like if you are tight on budget, then yeah, it does kind of make sense because you, you want to be aggressive at cutting losers, even if it means your overall spend and volume is going to be lower. On the other end, if you've got a big testing budget, you're like, hey, I want to figure this out ASAP, you might change that to like $100 because you're like, hey, you know, you know that sometimes it's it's just a matter of like, it just doesn't get the conversion the first $50, but doesn't mean that, you know, two or three wouldn't happen the next 50 bucks is spent. So it's like, but then you're risking more because, you know, there's a higher chance that, hey, we'll go to 100 without a conversion and then you pause it, right? So it's kind of like the more aggressive or conservative you want to be, of take that down but the whole idea is you set a certain um, metric and then you stick to that because that allows you to have a standard consistency in how you optimize campaigns and when you have standard consistency you're going to do a much better job versus going on gut right and you're testing audiences keywords creatives at the same time uh did you ever sort of get you know how does that work like if you're if you're testing I mean, when you first start, you've got three to five keywords and you're testing those three to five keywords against three to five new variations of an ad. How do you know what's not working? You literally like on the ad level, you look at your ads and you're like, okay, this ad spent this much without conversion, I pause it. On keyword level, same thing. You know, you look at it and you basically see that, oh, this keyword spent this much, you pause it. And you basically at, at the end of it, you'll have like, you know, maybe two ads live and two keywords live, right? And they're working together well and getting you good results. So that's kind of the way we do it. Hmm. Okay. And what are we doing here? Are we doing a maximized conversions campaign right off the bat these days or? Yeah. Yeah. You want to start off with maximized conversions and then switch to target CPA later on, whenever you feel like either you're platforming or, you know, you feel that let's say you're got a few hundred conversions in you may want to take one or two of your campaigns and switch them to target CPA. That being said, I wouldn't force the switch over because sometimes switching over can hurt performance because uh, it's it's just weird. Most accounts target CPA does better, but we had a account recently where target CPA typically just every time we try target CPA just would make the results go wonky and we you know let it run for a while, but it still wasn't working well. So we usually what we do is we'll maybe take one campaign and switch that to target CPA, see how that does, and if the signs are promising, then we roll that out account wide. So it's there's no really hard and fast rules because each account can kind of vary because each niche is different each uh you know like it's it's like a really hard thing to be like oh in this situation do this every time it's more like you look at the account and then you make a call based on what you see in there hmm. okay so potentially maximized conversions could be your bidding strategy forever potentially some accounts yeah like if it's working super well then you actually would lose more by switching to target CPA because there's a chance that you know you could mess with what's working really well. So it's kind of like you want to. You wouldn't it switch with... it though, right? Wouldn't you sort of? You, you would build a new campaign, right? You wouldn't actually switch that campaign to, or would you change the bidding strategy of that campaign? 
I would say you can do it two ways, right? Number one, pick one campaign, not all of them, just one campaign, so you can target CPA. There's already conversion data in it. So theoretically, hopefully that works better. We find better results when we do that as opposed to just, you know, launching a new campaign. Because then what happens if you launch a new campaign with maximum mm. receive, uh, maximum conversions, target CPA, they start competing with each other because it's the same audience. So switching is usually a better idea uh, based on what we've seen, better results. However, as I mentioned, you don't want to switch the whole account or switch over one or two campaigns, maybe like 10%, 15% of your spend, see how it responds. And then based on that, kind of roll, gradually roll it out. Um, and then in some cases, as I mentioned, like we've seen an account recently where basically the, uh, we've tried to search target CPA twice every single time it didn't work out mm. for us. Hmm. Interesting. And what are we doing here for target CPA? I mean, you're, are you actually targeting your CPA or are you going higher than that to bid, to outbid people? Like, how are you doing that? Oh yeah, we're definitely going a little higher. Like we're, we don't usually, if you want to get leads for $10, you might have a target CPA of 12 to 13. And if it still doesn't run, they'll increase it. What we found is that usually the leads come in a little cheaper than the actual target CPA you're putting in or, you know, if you're optimizing for purchases, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. It's similar to manual bidding on Facebook, right? I mean, basically is the same thing, manual bidding. You're, you're basically saying this is how much I'm willing to spend on an ad. And so if you're telling Facebook more than that, for example, on Black Friday, I got really good results for a client by running an accelerated campaign on Facebook with a massively high manual bid just to bully everybody else out of the auction, right? Yeah. Uh, because you're basically saying, hey, I'm willing to go this high. It doesn't mean you're going to spend that much. It just basically says, I'm willing to go this high while everybody else is just looking for like lowest. So it's funny that after all these years, like it's always back and forth. Let the algorithm do its job versus how much should you not let the algorithm do its job? And I think as advertisers, we're always on this balance, right? We're not, it's changing all the time, right? The way I think about it is like guiding the algorithm. Like you don't want to poke with it. You don't want to mess with it. You don't want to like keep poking at it and messing things up, but you want to kind of give it the parameters and make sure they're intelligent parameters. And then, you know, if things aren't working, then you tweak it a bit. But if things are working, you let it run. The issue I see is trying to hyper-optimize when results are good, because that is always the reason why campaigns mm. goes up. Like so many times I see this, like, hey, I messed this up and now my campaign isn't working because I had a great campaign going, it was profitable, but I decided I would exclude this demographic or change this thing. And it's just like, hey, campaign's working, minimal changes to it, right? Like if it's getting your KPIs, if it's profitable, don't try to squeeze more juice out of it because a lot of times, more often than not, it's going to back because these algorithms, they're very sensitive to changes, right? Like whenever you um, you introduce like another change to it, it just goes reset. And then during that reset, things just go, you know, don't go super off. Hmm. And are you ever doing any layering and targeting? Is that working at all for you these days where you're layering in, for example, mm. keywords with audiences, et cetera? Like we've tried it a couple of times, not, yeah, it's not really worked super well. It also just makes the audiences super small because the thing with YouTube is you can do so much with the audiences that like, instead of layering it, you can literally just choose a smaller, more tight audience, right? So um, yeah, I haven't really seen great results with layering. And what about that. similar audiences? So, so if anybody doesn't know, similar audience, that's Google's version of lookalike audiences. Basically, you take a seed audience, like for example, people that was, visited your website, and Google actually automatically creates these audiences, right? Yeah. 
my 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 Google device is trying to talk to me behind me okay. um, and telling me she's not connected. Maybe it's a sign. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yes, yeah, so Google automatically populates these similar audiences, right? From your website visitors and such. And so uh, do those work well? It seems like they would, they work great on Facebook. Like they work. They're not like the bees knees of Facebook where they're just so you know powerful. They're like, they work, but sometimes, right? Like they can work well, sometimes, sometimes they don't work well. So it's like, it's not. I would say after custom affinity, custom intent, in-market um, keywords, those are on the second tier. Like similar audiences are like, when we start testing affinity audiences and topic audiences, we also test uh, similar audiences because they haven't worked on a consistent basis for us. So it's kind of like, sometimes they work well, sometimes not. Mm, interesting. Mm -hmm. So uh, what's the ideal situation I have here coming out of testing? I mean, you're always testing different keywords. So you've got your three to five keywords that you're testing in that one campaign, super tight. You got the ads there, you're good to go. Uh, let's say I want to test five more. Do I add them to the same campaign or am I just screwing with the algorithm at that point? I, I would, I would just add doing a new campaign. You yeah. would just do a new campaign for all testing. Yeah, new campaign. If something's working, just let it go. Let, let it run. Let the thing that's working keep working, and then do do the test in the campaign. Right? If something's not working, then yeah, mess with the campaign, try different things, like do whatever you want to do. But if something's working, let it be. What would you say is the opportunity for e-commerce on YouTube ads? Um, I mean, I, I think that the adoption of YouTube ads has changed dramatically in the last year. It's more popular now. You're seeing more investment there what's the opportunity to sell there versus other platforms? Yeah, so I don't think e-commerce is still that popular with YouTube ads. Everybody's on Facebook. Most e-commerce stores are not on YouTube. There are some, and usually those are the ones that get really big. Like you look at these uh, e-com brands that are doing YouTube well, they're not that many of them, but they do really well. And they're not doing something that's that hard to do. You create a really good video and you basically, you know, obviously follow the targeting strategies I laid out and you will get great results, right? Like you have the right product. So it's like these brands are literally, you know, basically blowing up out of nowhere and, you know, spending like millions, making millions on YouTube and nobody's really, they don't really have that much competition, right? Like there's, you in a lot of e-commerce verticals, there's maybe at most one advertiser running. Well, on Facebook, there's like 50. So I do think there's a huge opportunity in that regard. And are you looking at like very similar costs of advertising? CPMs, are, are they similar? CPMs can be a little higher on YouTube. Well, it really depends on the niche. Cost per click usually is a bit higher on YouTube. So again, that's what I said about, you know, low ticket not being the best fit for YouTube because acquisition costs can be a little bit more expensive, but they're usually a lot more stable and a lot more scalable. So if you have a product where, you know, you're cool with a $40 CPA and you have your conversion rate down, then you can scale really hard on YouTube and also build a, you know, kind of a big brand as well because, you know, chances are in your vertical, nobody else is doing YouTube ads. It's probably one of the best ways to basically become a category leader. Mm, yeah, interesting. And, and obviously get great brand awareness there as well. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, I love nerding out inside the weeds of campaigns. We don't go too broad here. <laughs> I, I, I love talking about that kind of stuff. Did I leave anything out? I think that pretty much covers a lot of it. Uh, yeah, it's just, if you've got an you know, e-commerce brand, then you think that's a try. And I also think like, don't gloss over what Shash was saying before about like, 
everything after the ad can't suck too. <laughs> you have to have a great buying experience, good sales page, whatever it may be. Have you seen anything there? Uh, like where you're sending people that one's outperforming another? Is it building a specific landing page for YouTube? Is it a product page, homepage? Um, we've seen good results with sending them to advertorials, also to product pages. Uh, I think it's just something you got to test for your own brand, right? So in one case, we saw really great results sending them to like an article, right? So an advertorial where basically was long form content um, mm. and that worked really well. But in another case, it's literally this product page that clients been running traffic forever. It's just that they hyper-optimized the product page after years of testing it. So it, it converts to like five or six percent, some ridiculous rate. So obviously it makes sense to send traffic there. So kind of depends on your brand, what you've tested or what you've not tested. That's interesting. I think like 1% of advertisers send any traffic to an advertorial. So it's interesting even there to think about testing that. Um, it's basically a blog, right? I mean, it's basically a value-based blog that sells the product. Um, yeah. Fast or a pre-sell page. There's all sorts, there's names for everything. Exactly. Pre-sell page, <laughs> advertorial, etc. Right, right, right. Okay. Thank you so much, Josh. This was like super enlightening. I learned a lot. A lot has changed uh, in the last year since the last time we talked. Back then, I was bidding on CPV for everything. Uh, and I was just like manually tweaking all the levers and like pushing all the buttons. And now it seems like we can let the algorithm do a little bit more work for us, which I think is a very good thing to hear. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So where can we find out more about you? Sure. So um, you can, there are a few options. Number one, our website is linksdigitalagency.com. So L-I-N-X digitalagency.com. Uh, my YouTube channel, if you look up my name, Shash, S-H-A-S-H, S-I-N-G-H, Shash thing, you can find my YouTube channel there. We have a Facebook group called YouTube Ad Buyers. So any of those avenues are great for, you know, learning more about YouTube ads or reaching out to me. Josh is great. There's a lot of great value on YouTube ads um, on his channel. You should definitely check those out. And we'll make sure to share some links to the creatives and breaking those down. Because I know for many people, the creative piece of it uh, is, is in some ways the daunting thing. You know, how do I make the video that's going to do well? So there's, there's a lot of resources there. Thank you all for being here with me. Thank you, Josh, for joining me. Uh, and I'll talk to you guys later. Awesome. Cheers.